What's next? That's kind of been my uh, my mantra this year, last 12 months. You know, just a little over a year ago, they said, oh, by the way, there's this new virus. Oh, there is. And then, you know, it's been kind of downhill uh, since then, right? Uh, there's a new virus. It's, it came from bats over in China. How did bats and people get... I, there are things I really don't want to know. Uh, it's launched a global pandemic uh, that, uh, and, and I started wondering, well, what's next? What's going to happen next? Well, then there came the stay-at-home orders, no public gatherings. Uh, Mark figured out how to put Sunday morning worship online, and you got six days. Good luck. It worked so far. Uh, but, so, but what's next? Everyone homeschooled their kids, which I found a little humorous. I have family members who homeschool all the time. That's their thing. Uh, and they have been, you know, kind of told, well, that's second class. That's really not good for your kids. And now everybody's got to do it. Interesting. Uh, there are no sports, no graduation ceremonies, no weddings or funerals. What's next? Mask. I can't breathe. That one's on multiple levels, by the way. Marches, riots, protest. What could be what could be next? Now well then oh it's glad you asked, Mark, because then there came these really contentious campaigns, there are all kinds of crazy conspiracy theories. Uh, Congress under attack. What's next? Favorite question from the year that I didn't ask. Somebody else asked it, but they said, I, I looked out the window this morning to see what chapter in the book of Revelation or the apocalypse we're in. Well, what's going on now? And so here comes this question. How, how do I discern, discern? How do I discern what's next? How do I discern what I'm supposed to do next? How can I know what my next step should be when I have absolutely no idea what the next hour is going to bring? The changes that are coming are coming so fast. How can I know? Uh, a friend uh, wrote this in a note to me this week. He said, we're all feeling the effects of one of the most non-normal, always changing, unpredictable years in our lifetime. <clears throat> I'm going to read that one more time. We're all feeling the effects of one of the most non-normal, always changing, unpredictable years in our lifetime. And I thought to myself, well, that's an understatement. It's been a hundred years since we had a global pandemic. This is this is a this is a century breaker, mm. and we are feeling the effects. Uh, people are responding differently, but we are all feeling the effects of having absolutely no idea what's next. Uh, we're stunned. Many of us are stunned and perplexed. A lot of us are angry and frustrated, and it's, it's not pretty. 
Uh, we're in uncharted waters, uh, racing through rapids towards who knows what. And frankly, at this point, I'm beginning to think I'm in the Niagara River, and the drop is about to happen, and I just don't know it yet. I'm kind of worried. I, I, and I worry, but because Jesus said, "Don't worry," because I, I know if I go over the falls, He'll be with me. But that doesn't mean I'm going to enjoy the falls uh, like I do when I'm standing at the side just watching. Right? You know, I, we're, we're in uncharted water. How, how do we determine what's next? It feels like we are lost in the North Woods on a stormy night. No light, no moon, no stars, no compass, no map, no GPS, no idea which way to turn. How can we discern what's next? Well, we're not the first ones to go through this kind of time. We have... I can think we've been kind of lulled to sleep in the last half century or more to think that, you know, we've got things under control. Yeah, there's some stuff that comes up once in a while that's unexpected, but we can figure it out. Um, the world's not usually like that if you look back through history. In fact, if you go back to the the, the first century or so after Jesus was here, there was all kinds of turmoil going on. Especially for the people who followed Jesus. Luke recorded some of the unprecedented events that happened uh, following Jesus' life here on earth. At the beginning of Luke's history, uh, he records Jesus saying this, You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. That was their mission, to go to the ends of the earth. They had absolutely no idea how far that was. You know, when we say that, how many, when I read that, how many of you have a picture of the globe in your mind? Okay, just to get in perspective, at best, these people thought of the Mediterranean Sea. Just that little section. They had no idea how big Africa was, or Asia, or Europe, let alone North America and South America. They had no idea what Jesus was saying to them, but they do. They're supposed to be going to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. To be Jesus' witnesses, but we're jumping into Acts in chapter 16, so we're kind of into the, well into the story. Uh, so to be Jesus' witnesses to the ends of the earth, Paul, who has become uh, gone from being a church persecutor to a church starter and a missionary, he chose a guy named Silas, and they left. They left Jerusalem to carry a letter to all the Gentile churches and all the Gentile uh, believers and followers of Jesus, so they knew that the people who were really zealous about circumcision and kosher food and told them that if you really want to follow Jesus, you need to become Jewish, that they were wrong, that it's okay to be Gentile and follow Jesus, as long as you obey his commands. I mean, that's the whole idea of following Jesus. Uh, but you don't have to be circumcised and you don't have to give up your bacon 
Hallelujah. <laughs> There's some things I love about being Gentile. So Paul and Silas traveled through Syria and Cilicia. That's kind of like round Turkey, what we call Turkey these days. And they went first to a little town called Derby, and then they went to Lystra. And they met a guy named Timothy there, and, and some good things happened. Timothy joined their, their thing. It's Acts chapter 16, um, verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, still in that area we generally call Turkey. Having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Say what? Jesus said, go be my witnesses to the very ends of the earth. And they get to a place and the Holy Spirit says, don't go there. I always wonder, how did they know? We're not going to go preach in the province of Asia. That's still, again, in that area that we now call Turkey. But how did they know? When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. What? He said, go. We're going. And now he says, no. How? How did he discover what to do next? It's my question. I, I, every time I read this passage, and I, I, I tell you, I've read it several times, and I'm now talking to you about it, and I'm still working on it. How did Jesus show them to keep moving and not to go into this place. How did he do that? Well, however he did it, they passed Mysia and went down to Troas. Now, Troas is a port city on the Mediterranean. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him. That's the northern part of Greece. And this man was begging him, and he said, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. I understand this one. I've not experienced this one, but at least I understand when Paul had a vision of this man from Macedonia and said, come over and help us. He had a pretty clear idea, hey, that's where God wants us to go. I get that. But what about those other two times where he said, don't go there, don't go there. So Paul and his companions didn't know the entire story um, at the start. They, they, they moved out. They started going in a direction they thought they should go. And somehow the Holy Spirit said no. So they changed direction. And they started going a different way. And they started to go into a different area. 
And Jesus said, no. Somehow they got that message. And so they went to Troas and he had this vision. And they had no idea. They're getting on the boat to go from Turkey over to Macedonia, the northern part of Greece. They're going across the sea there. They had no idea what was going to happen. They just knew that Paul had this vision of a man saying, come over and help us. They just agreed to do whatever Jesus asked them to do whenever he asked them to do it. They didn't know how it was going to turn out. They didn't know the end of the story. For them, it was all about being witnesses for Jesus and being followers of Jesus. And they took small steps and they prayed hard. I'm pretty sure of that. I'm one I can observe uh, from what Paul was like. Uh, and they love people. But what about us? What about us? How do we discern what that, what's next? And even if we were to have a vision, how do we know it wasn't, you know, bad pepperoni or something? Mm -hmm. I always blame it on pepperoni. Uh, maybe that's unfair. Uh, you know, maybe it was... Uh, Probably the bacon. <laughs> could never be the bacon. The bacon doesn't stay around long enough to go bad. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, how, how do we discover what Jesus wants us to do? I think there is a principle for us to get in here, even if we don't know all the details. And I, I've kind of come to the conclusion that the Holy Spirit didn't want to give us the details of how he said, don't go there and don't go there. Uh, I think that's, was, he did that on purpose as he was inspiring Luke to make this record. Uh, I think the principle is that we need to keep moving and trusting the Holy Spirit to lead us to our next assignment. In fact, that brings me to today's sermon in the sentence. You can't steer a parked car, and Jesus won't. Mm. Now, just think about this with me for a moment. Uh, you cannot steer a parked car. This is why we allow grandchildren to sit in the driver's seat and play with a steering wheel. It doesn't matter. Yeah. They can't make it go into the garage. They can't drive it through the side of the house. They can't pull it out into the street. It's parked. You can move the steering wheel all you want and it's not gonna move the car. You can steer a parked car and Jesus, you can't steer a parked car and Jesus won't. Someone could argue though that Jesus could because he's God. God, he could move that parked car. You know, he could pick it up and turn it around any which way he wanted to, but he won't. You know how I know he won't? Because Jesus won't steer you or me to what's next if we're in park. Mm. He won't show you what to do next if you're settled into doing what you've always done and have absolutely no desire to change that. If you and I are not asking Jesus this question. If we're not asking Jesus, what's next 
so that I can go where you want me to go and do what you want me to do, what's next? He has absolutely no reason to tell us because we've already told him we're not going. In fact, I think that's part of our problem. We're in park and we're waiting for Jesus to tell us something we like so we'll move. If we don't like it, we're not going to move. You can't steer a parked car and Jesus won't. You and I can become so focused on going the direction we want to go that we stop moving with Jesus. Now somebody is thinking, how on earth can you say that? Well, it's a common picture in the Bible. All we like sheep have gone astray. All of us have gone and done our own way. We are all walking around doing our own thing. How did that Jesus told the story of a man who had a hundred sheep and one of them wandered off? We're all doing that. Or we all have. We're all tempted to. You can ask Jesus for guidance and nothing happens because you're asking the wrong question. You're usually asking the question, how do I get where I want to go? The question is, how do I get where you want to go, Jesus? How do I get to where you want to go? You can't steer a parked car and Jesus won't. <clears throat> How do we discern what's next? Uh, allow me to suggest. I'm focusing, I put a list in the uh, version event. There's a list of five different things. I'm going to focus only on the first one today. Uh, maybe we'll come back to the other some other time. But I'm going to suggest that this, the first foundational thing is that we start listening. We need to pay attention to God. We need to pay attention to each other. We need to pay attention to our community, to our neighborhoods, to the people around us. How do we listen? I'm glad you asked. Uh, we start. We listen to each other by asking questions so that we can understand. Not so we can convince somebody they're wrong and we're right, not so that we can win a debate. We ask questions so that we can understand each other, not so that we can uh, win people over. We ask questions so that we can understand. And we do the same thing for people in our community. The, the, the way we get to know people in our community is to ask questions until we can understand them. And that's it. That's it for that conversation. You know, we'd like to have more conversations. You know, the fastest way to make sure you have no more conversations with people is to ask questions trying to convince them to agree with you. Because everybody can tell when we ask questions 
to try to get them to agree with us. It's called manipulation. Depending on how strong-willed an individual is, that's about how long the conversation's going to last. <coughs> Some of us can smell manipulation before it even starts. Some of us need a few hints. But none of us want to put up with it for very long. So we need to forget the manipulation, forget the idea of trying to convince people of stuff that we want them to believe or argue with it. We just want to ask questions and listen so that we understand them. And if they say something we don't understand, you know what we do? Ask more questions. Well, I'm not quite sure I get that. Can you help me understand that? That's how we listen to people, to each other, and to people around us. Okay, for the people who've been impatiently waiting and wondering when I was going to get to this, how do we listen to Jesus? How do we listen to the Holy Spirit? There are a lot of different ways that we can do this. I'm going to focus in on one of them this morning. Uh, and it's a, it's a way of reading our Bibles. Uh, it's the English translation of the Latin name that it's had, because it's been around for a long time. It's called divine reading. It's kind of like prayer and Bible reading blended together. Notice I didn't say Bible study. It's Bible reading. Uh, it's reading the Bible so that we are transformed, not simply informed. So most of our Bible studies are about finding out what's there. <clears throat> but once we have an idea of what's there, we need to know, take what's in the Bible and use it, let it transform us so that we become more like Jesus. So, if we're going to read the Bible to be transformed... Um, the first thing we're going to do is ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Speak, ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you as you read. How do I do that? Well, there's this real simple prayer. There's a little guy named Samuel. There's a little boy named Samuel in the Old Testament. He, 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 it went like this. It was this long. Speak. I'm listening. Speak to me, Holy Spirit. Nothing big, nothing hard. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you as you read. Then read a section from the Bible, a chapter maybe, uh, maybe a whole story. Read a section. And read it again. And read it again until something grabs your attention. And start to think about that word or that phrase that catches your attention. So you've asked the Holy Spirit to speak to you and you start reading. And you read that same passage several times until something starts to stand out to you. And then you start to think about it, that word, that phrase, that idea. And then you begin to consider how does this idea, this word, 
this phrase that I'm reading and I'm thinking about, how does that compare? How do my thoughts and my actions and my ways of relating to other people compare to this? How, how might I need to change? And ask the Holy Spirit then, once you have an idea of how you might need to change and grow to be more like Jesus because of what you're reading and in, in, found in his Bible, you, you, you ask the Holy Spirit to help you to make that change so that you can join Jesus as he works in our community. And you practice, 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 Practice. You got to keep moving. You got to keep trying. You got to keep listening. What if the Holy Spirit's putting up uh, road closed and bridge out signs in in these last twelve months? Maybe that. What if that's what He's been doing? What if the Spirit has been putting up signs for us as the big church, not just our congregation, but the whole church? What if he's saying, hey, I need you to change directions. You're, I want to go this way. And he starts putting up these road closed signs and these bridge out signs, and he's trying to direct us to the next steps that Jesus has for us. And most of us are going, when can we get back to normal? There is no normal anymore. It doesn't exist. What we think of as normal is gone. Unless you can get those back to the future people to take you back. And by the way, from everything I've seen in the movies, that's not a good idea. Uh, it's following Jesus. Following Jesus needs to be constantly clarified. It's not a, I've got it figured out now, I don't need to worry about it. Once I'm done kind of thing. It, if we're following Jesus, we're moving constantly and we need to constantly clarify the direction he wants to go where he wants us to leave we need to continually discern his direction and his guidance for us now more often than not i think from what i can see and what i've experienced and what i've read and from other people's experience the holy spirit guides us through engineering our circumstances in fact, there, here's a principle that we, you and I can keep, us in, keep in mind. If we're moving, God gets us to where he wants us to be. It may not be where we thought we were going. When Connie and I lived in Kentucky, apparently we've lived a very sheltered life in Indiana. For some of you in Michigan can hardly believe that it's possible to have a sheltered life in Indiana. But I think we did. One night we went out and we were just, we it was a date night, you know, and, and then we went for a drive and 
we've ended up over here somewhere and we thought, well, you know, he just got out the map, good old days when you get out the map. <laughs> and this little highway, this little state highway goes right back over there to where we live, so let's go there. You remember, don't you? We're humming down the highway, we're going down this little slope, and you know, we knew from the map that we were going to cross a river. It was dark. We assumed bridge. There were, at least at that time in the Dark Ages, still ferries across the rivers in Kentucky. No signs, but the ferry was closed. But fortunately, I noticed that there's an awful lot of water across the road here in my headlights, and we stopped about three feet from the edge of the river. We did get home, obviously, because we're still here. Um, sometimes the Holy Spirit changes our direction just like that. We're humming along thinking we're going the direction and the, oh, we can't go that way. Sometimes we want to pout. I mean, here it is, several years later, and I'm still complaining about the fact that they could have at least put up a sign. Mm. Ferry ahead, or, you know, ferry doesn't operate after dark. Don't go swimming with your car. Something. And sometimes we do that when the Holy Spirit throws up a a closed door in front of us. We get a little upset and we just sit there and pout and fuss about why you went there a sign before we got here. Da, 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 da. But if we turn around and start moving in another direction, he will get us where he wants us to go. God always gets us where he wants us to go. But we have to seek, we have to listen, we have to discern, we have to pray, and we really have to keep moving. And then we can see what happens. <clears throat> and we can trust God to close the doors that need to be closed and open the doors that need to be opened uh, to build, put bridges where the bridges need to be. Because we did have to cross that uh, river, uh, but we did it down the way on another highway with, that had a bridge. Hallelujah. But as we do... As we do all that we know we should do to seek Jesus in his kingdom, he's going to do the rest to get us where he wants us to go and to help us to do what he wants us to do. But we have to move. We can trust him to guide us and direct us. So what's next? I have absolutely no idea what the next crazy thing coming down the pike may be. But I invite you to join me in listening to Jesus 
and look for his ways and his directions for where we, he wants us to go. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we don't, in many cases, many ways, we don't know your voice because we've either never had a message from you or we've not listened to the messages you've sent us. In your love and your mercy and your grace to us, open our spiritual ears to hear you call us by name. Wake us up from our slumber. Call us out of our, our stupor and our confusion into your presence. Speak, Lord. We are listening. Amen. Well, whether you are here on site or online here, thank you. Thank you for connecting with us and being here. I appreciate it. I want to remind you, Jesus, whether you're here or somewhere else, Jesus sends us as the Father sent him to bring the Father's missing children back home. We are sent, so let's go, filled with the Holy Spirit's love and power. In that way, we will transform grudges into grace. We will transform apathy into affection. We will transform despair into determination. We will transform hopelessness into living hope. We are sent. Go with Jesus.